So, I don't know about you, but given the weather uh, in particular this morning, and given that we are halfway through August, I'm beginning to get the sense that this summer is beginning to go by a little bit too quickly. And for any young people here, I don't want to frighten you, but the school uniforms are in the shop windows, and in two and a bit weeks' time, you're all going back to school. And as I look around, I can see half the parents in the room are thinking, that's awful that our summer is over. And the other half are thinking, bring it on (laughs) so that I can get my life back. And what of the poor teachers? What of the poor teachers? The seven-week holiday coming to an end but it'll be half-term before you know it, uh, so do not worry. We are coming to the end of a season, and we're coming to the end of a church season as well. These last few months when our rector has been on sabbatical have been a time for us as a church family to grow together, to strengthen each other, to lift each other, to encourage each other, and it has been a time of challenge, but also a time of blessing. And so this morning, as we look forward to what I believe is going to be a new season in our church life, a new season characterized, yes, by a sense of mission, but also by the unknown, because we don't know what God has in store for us in the future. This morning, I thought we would turn to this psalm, Psalm 130. I was told this morning, this being my last time up here before Nigel comes back, before the sabbatical is over, which seems uh, hard to believe in some ways, I was told to talk about any passage I wanted, anything at all. And I started looking through some passages that were familiar to me. I started looking through some passages that I thought might be good for us to think about this morning, but nothing really was jumping out at me. Nothing was really speaking to me. And then I thought to myself, over the last few weeks in this place, we've actually been using the lectionary, the Church of Ireland's set readings for a number of our services. And I don't know about you, but I have felt that God has been speaking to us as a church family through a number of the set readings that we've had over the last few weeks and the last few months. And I turned to the set readings for today, but again, nothing was really speaking to me. There was plenty we could have said, but nothing was really speaking to me. And then I started getting lots of messages and thoughts and people saying things to me about the Psalms. And I turned in the lectionary to the Psalm for today, Psalm 130, and something inside me just said that Psalm 130 was God's message to us today, and that was confirmed in a number of ways since then. And it might seem a bit odd because we don't often have the Psalms as our text for the sermon, 
But this Psalm 130, I think, is a really important psalm. And I think there's a really significant message in it for us as a people, precisely as we come out of one season of church life and look forward to another one. I've no idea, as you sit here today, what the last week has been like for you. You might just have had the best week of your life, for all that I know. Or you could have had a really tough week. It might have been one of those weeks where you thought to yourself this morning, I can't even be bothered being here today. Or maybe you've had a really tough month. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and actually you can't remember the last time that things were pretty good in your life. Well, if that is you this morning, I hope that today's word gives you hope. Because today's psalm starts in verse 1 with the psalmist in the depths of despair. And it ends only seven verses later with a sense of hope and of joy and of thanksgiving. That's how quickly God can turn things around in anyone's life. So Psalm 130, as Colin was saying earlier, is called one of those Psalms of Ascent. And as Colin rightly said, it's called a Psalm of Ascent because these were the Psalms that the Jewish pilgrims would have sung as they made their way up to Jerusalem, which was on Mount Zion. And as the pilgrims ascended the hills, they would have sung psalms like these, the psalms of ascent. But I think we can start to think about this psalm as being a psalm of ascent for another reason as well. And that's because while these psalms begin with the writer in a place of despair, as they progress, the writer looks to God's grace, and he then begins to ascend from the place of despair to the place of hope. Now, we don't know this morning who the writer of Psalm 130 is, but that doesn't really matter because that's not the point. The point is that what's described in Psalm 130 speaks to the spiritual condition of every single one of us in this room today. The psalmist begins then in this really low place. Verse 1, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you. This is no gentle plea for help. This is a desperate cry for help. This is someone we're dealing with this morning who's got themselves into a really bad place. This is someone who has sunk to what feels like their lowest point. The psalmist is in the depths of despair. And very often in the Psalms, when the psalmist is in the depths of despair, 
he uses water imagery to try and communicate to the reader that sense of what it feels like to be in that place. For example, in Psalm 18, we read, he reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. And in Psalm 69, we read, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I don't know if anybody here has ever felt like that. I suspect we all have at times in life. That feeling you get when you are up to your neck in life's troubles, that you seem to be drowning. Trouble comes upon trouble comes upon trouble. It never seems to end. You're overwhelmed. You're panicking about how you get out of this situation, and yet the waters keep rising, and it just seems that there is nothing that you can do about it. I imagine that the worst feeling ever in life is the feeling of drowning, that sense that you're suffocating, that you're running out of air, that you're losing control, and that you are heading slowly but surely to the very depths. And this is where the psalmist is in this morning's passage. And this, sadly, is where we all end up from time to time in our lives. And there are many reasons why we can end up in a situation like this. I know that grief can do this to people, can tip you into a cycle of despair that you think you'll never get out of. Mourning and bereavement are exactly the same. Illness can do it to us. Is there no end to this affliction that I'm going through? Loneliness can also do it for some people. That feeling you're sinking to a very low place and you've been deserted by everyone that you know. There are plenty of Psalms in the Bible that address situations like this, and they give lots of comfort and hope for all of these scenarios. But what we're dealing with in this morning's passage is not that. What we're dealing with is something different to those feelings. There's a different reason why the psalmist is in the depths of despair in this morning's passage. Verses 1 and 2 again. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Now, why would the psalmist be crying out to God for mercy? Why would any of us in life use a word like mercy? Well, mercy is something, is it not, that we show to offenders. Mercy is something that we show to our enemies. Mercy is something we show to those people who have done us something wrong in life. 
so what the psalmist is saying here when crying out to God for mercy, he's saying, God, I've done something wrong against you, and it is eating away at me. I have no peace in me. The Bible has a name for this feeling, and it's not drowning. The name for this feeling is sin. And the psalmist himself uses the very word in verse 3. And he hates himself for it. So here we have someone who is in the absolute depths of despair, who is drowning because of his own foolishness, because of his self-destruction, because of his sin. And I think that's why we identify with this writer, because he's just like every single one of us. Don't we often get ourselves into all sorts of bother in life? Don't we often make a terrible mess of life because of our own foolishness and our own disobedience and our own sin? How many times have we brought misery to other people because of the lies that we have told? How many times have we wrecked perfectly good relationships because we had an anger problem? How many times have we wrecked perfectly good relationships because we haven't got it within us to forgive? How many times have we wrecked relationships because of our pride? How many times have we trampled over people because of our own selfish ambition and our greed? How many lives have been destroyed because people couldn't keep their marriage vows? Here's the point I'm trying to make. The point that comes from God's Word this morning is that it's not just the person who has sinned against who ends up hurt and aggrieved. What the psalm from this morning shows us is that the person who does the sinning also ends up hurt and aggrieved. And the reason for that is that sin utterly destroys us. It drags us down into the depths of despair. And once we hit that place in life, one of the feelings that we sometimes experience is the sensation of guilt. Guilt is that feeling we get when we have done something wrong or when we have not done what we should have done. Whenever we, as people of God, sin, God's Spirit inside us is aggrieved. And sometimes God's Spirit will prompt feelings of guilt, but not in a bad way. Because guilt in itself is not a bad thing. 
Guilt, indeed, can be used as the trigger to get us to turn from our bad ways. That thing that highlights in our life the area where we have committed a wrongdoing. But there is something else that sometimes comes over us when we sin and when we end up in that really bad place of despair. And this thing that comes over us is different to guilt. And this thing that comes over us is never sent to us by God. And this thing that sometimes comes over us when we end up in this situation is shame. Shame is entirely different to guilt. Shame is the most painful, self-destructive feeling any human being can ever experience. Because shame is not that feeling that you've done something wrong. Shame is that feeling that you are a bad person, that you are irredeemable, that there's no hope for you, that you can't possibly turn from your ways because this is the nature of the person that you are. Shame is crippling for that reason. Shame was the feeling that Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden. And it's very significant that they experienced that feeling after giving in to the serpent's temptations rather than following God's commands. And when they were exposed in their nakedness in the garden, their sin, their weakness, their failure on public display, that's where the shame came from. It came from giving in to the temptation of the serpent, not from God. Shame comes from the evil one who preys on broken people living in a broken world. And shame is utterly destructive. But God is not in the business of making any single one of us feel shame. And don't just take my word for it. Romans 10 verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So how we react when we do something wrong and how we react when we get those promptings in our heart that alert us to the fact that we do something wrong is really important. If we cover it up, if we pretend it isn't happening, if we deny that the problem is ours, we can end up in a really bad place. But if, like the psalmist, A, we recognize our fault, and B, we cry out to God for mercy, then everything turns around. And how do we know that everything turns around? Well, because in verse 4 of this morning's passage, just after the psalmist has cried out to God, verse 4 reads, but with you there is forgiveness. This is the turning point in the psalm. 
and the turning point is announced in the very important, one of the shortest words in the English language, but one of the most important words in the English language, the word but. Contrast, change. Everything is turning from this point on. And Psalm 130 completely changes in tone after this point because the psalmist has understood God's forgiveness and has understood God's grace. But with you there is forgiveness, he says, verse 4, so that we can with reverence serve you. What's interesting here is that the knowledge of forgiveness is followed by action, is followed by a desire to serve on the psalmist's part. He doesn't go back to his old ways. He reveres God. He expresses his deeper, deepest honor and deference to God because he knows that he hasn't done anything to earn God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is freely given in spite of the fact that he has done so many things wrong. The psalmist has understood God's grace. And this in turn leads him to desire to serve God and to pursue holiness and to continually, as it says in verses 5 and 6, wait on the Lord. Now, there's a challenge in there for us as well this morning. One, do we understand? Do we really appreciate what it means to be forgiven for our sins? And if and when we do, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to serve? In what way are we going to express reverence? I believe, as I said at the start this morning, that as we come to the end of what I think has been a very important season in our church life, and as we look forward now to a new season in our church life, I believe that we are being reminded this morning of something fundamentally important. Because we cannot serve God wholeheartedly with reverence until we've understood the truth of the message from Psalm 130. If you're someone who is here this morning and you're feeling guilty about something in your past that you have confessed to God and asked for his mercy over, then please know that that thing has gone. Verse 3, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Well, it's a rhetorical question, because the answer is, if God kept a record of sins, none of us could stand. But with you, Lord, verse 4, there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. If you're here today, and you can't help but think that maybe there's something in your past that God hasn't forgiven you for, 
because in your mind it's too big, it's too awful, it's too shameful. If you are someone who has fallen for the enemy's trick of telling you that you are an utter failure because you have caved into some sin and you will never be good enough in God's eyes, then hear what God is saying to you this morning. When we admit our wrongdoings and when we turn away from them, God is merciful and forgiving. God says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Hebrews 8 verse 12. 1 John 1 19, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words, there is nothing that we have done that is beyond God's forgiveness. Look at how the psalmist concludes in verses 7 and 8. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He, will, he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Did you hear that? There is full redemption. And he will redeem Israel, the body collective, from all their sins. Not some, not those ones that our mind we think maybe weren't as bad as some of the other ones. All sins. If you have turned from sin and put your hope in God, you are forgiven. Not partially, but completely. I think a psalm this morning is really important for lots of reasons. It starts with this recognition of sin in someone's life. Then the person cries out to God for mercy, for forgiveness. Then we have this turning point that begins with the word but. And then we have hope and forgiveness and redemption. What we've got, I believe, in Psalm 130 is the gospel in miniature. We've got the message of the Bible distilled into eight short verses. We've got the message of hope in seven short, eight short verses. And the whole thing points forward to Jesus and the cross when he took our sins for us, all of our sins, upon himself and paid the price for them. Remember his final words? It is finished. It is paid in full. So as we draw to a close this morning, I want us to think about this. There's a lovely, there's a lovely thing that happens at the 10 o'clock service in this church. It's one of the most powerful things that happens and it's something that I love uh, at our early service. And it's when we as a people of God stand together and we recite our faith in the words of the creed. There's something really powerful, I think, about standing with your neighbor, standing together, all of us, 
from our different backgrounds, different ages, living in different places, different circumstances, different setups in life. But the thing that brings us together is our common faith. And when we stand as a body and we say together, united, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the Holy Spirit, something very powerful happens at that moment. And there's a line in that creed, which is a challenging line. And the line is, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And sometimes I wonder, do we? Do we really believe in the forgiveness of sins? Well, we should, and we must, because you can be absolutely sure that one of the tricks of the enemy is to use our past sins against us and to convince us that we cannot be redeemed, to sow the seeds of doubt and confusion in our mind, to say to you that you cannot possibly be redeemed, that you aren't as good as those other people who sit around you in church on a Sunday morning, that those people are more holy than you. Well, God's message to us this morning is that when we turn to Him, we are redeemed of our sins, all of them. And the reason why that is so, is so important is that if and when in life we end up in that low point of despair, we've got a choice to make. And one of the things about being in that low point of despair, one of the things that's the most important thing you can do at that moment is to do what the psalmist did, to remind yourself of God's promise to you, to turn to God's word, as the psalmist did in verse 5 and saying, in God's word, I put my hope. And so this morning as we close, I want us to hear once again this promise to us from God's Word. This promise to us that we need to hear as we enter a new season of church life. And this time it's from Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are from the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us. How far is the east from the west? Infinity to infinity. They're completely gone. That's God's promise to us. If that's what you believe, then it's time to take it to your heart. It's time to understand the truth of God's promise to us. 
you are forgiven, I am forgiven, we are forgiven. It is the greatest gift that has ever been given. And you know, as we look forward to a new season in this place, sometimes when we get to new seasons in church and new things happen and things go in slightly different directions and people begin to feel uncomfortable sometimes and people begin to think, I wish the church was more like that. I wish it was more like this. I wish it had something more for me in this respect of my life. Well, maybe it's time that we focused on that message from God's Word about who we are collectively as a people who've known forgiveness, who've known hope, who know what it is to put our trust in Him, and who know what it is to have joy in our hearts, and who then want to go on and serve Him. So this morning, I believe that God is saying to us, lift up your hearts, lift up your heads. We are forgiven. We are a people of joy. We are a people who have received the good news. Let us give thanks to a merciful, a loving, and a faithful God. Let us pray.